0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein.
2: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Schildenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's episode is a special one. Uh, It follows on the heels of a previous episode that we had done uh, discussing uh, cultural heritage and archaeology. In War Zones, we, we had a previous episode in which we had spoken to representatives of the State Department and Cultural Heritage Minister for the country of Afghanistan, And we had talked generally about the difficulties in undertaking cultural heritage and archaeological work in Afghanistan. And, of course, you're talking about, we are talking about a situation that is very, very fluid and changing all the time. Right now, we are looking at a probable withdrawal date from Afghanistan in 2014. And we had talked in the previous uh, discussion about the urgency of undertaking uh, cultural heritage work in this particular area. Uh, we had talked about uh, the site of Bamiyan, which was one of the causes. And one of the triggers for the actual U.S. intervention in Afghanistan because uh, the Taliban had effectively destroyed a series of Buddhist monuments at that site. And uh, one of the points that had not been made or widely publicized at at that particular time was that in addition to Bamiyan, there are a number of other very large and extensive archaeological sites that run across the entire country of Afghanistan. It's a very Significant area in South Asia. It was well known for the Silk Route that uh, effectively connected the East and the West, and the politics and the ethnic difficulties and difficult and and. Uh Wars that have been undertaken over the centuries certainly have not gone away, as as we see in the present time. And what we'd like to talk about today, in a very special episode, is one particular site that is now coming to the fore because of the eminence of the American withdrawal and because of the difficult situations in which the State Department, the government of Afghanistan, and the Ministry of Mines find themselves, and that is the site of Mezenak. Very briefly, this is a site in which, which is scheduled to have an extensive mining operation undertaken by the Chinese government and is one of the situations that is causing an urgency to examine and to assess what might be done with the cultural heritage and the archaeological resources that are at that particular site. I am very pleased to have uh at this uh, for, for this particular program two uh, specialists in uh specific areas of archaeological documentation uh one of them is uh, Mr. Brent Huffman Mr. Huffman is an award-winning director writer and cinematographer of documentaries and television programs he is an assistant professor professor at the medill school of journalism at northwestern university uh... Brent's work ranges from documentaries aired on the discovery channel the national geographic channel nbc cnn PBS and Al Jazeera. He has been making social issue documentaries and uh, environmental films for more than a decade in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. Offen was also an editor of uh, Julia Reichert and Stephen Bognor's Primetime Emmy Award winning PBS documentary, documentary series called A Lion in the House about children battling cancer. He also recently completed a book about his experiences in China called Life in the Heart of China, A Diary from the Forbidden World, and most recently he completed a documentary uh, The Colony for Al Jazeera about China in Afri- and in Africa, China's involvement in Africa. He is currently working on two d- new documentaries in Afghanistan and China. Brent, uh, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Uh, My second guest is a world-recognized archaeologist, Dr. Rita Wright. She is an archaeologist and professor of anthropology at New York University. Her field research has been in South Asia and the Near East, and her research interests are in urbanism, state formation, gender relations, exchange networks, and cultural heritage. Dr. Wright's research in these areas has included neutron activation analysis to identify trade networks, reconstruction of ceramics and weaving technologies to identify production techniques and transfer technologies. She has undertaken excavations in Iran, ancient Anshan, Maragar in Balochistan, Pakistan, and the city of Harappa in Pakistan. As well, and Rita and I together have undertaken landscape studies in the hinterlands of Pakistan in order to understand the processes of urbanism of the Indus civilization. Um, Dr. Wright has also been extensively involved in looking at connections between South Asia and the Middle East and has also established a reputation in the study of gender relations and divisions of labor in the ancient past. Uh, Dr. Wright, welcome to the program as well.
4: Thank you very much. Good to be here.
2: Uh, Brent, let me start with you uh, by way of background. Uh, Dr. Wright and I have been working and had, have done a pilot project in Mesenac, uh which, which Dr. Wright will be talking about extensively as the program progresses. But let me get your take on what your assessment is of what's going on in Mezenac, both in terms of its imminent danger, as many people have uh, warned that it, it's currently falls into, and what you've seen and what you've done in your documentation at that site. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that by way of introduction?
3: Uh, Sure. So why don't I start with maybe the danger that May Sinek finds itself in. Um, uh, Like uh, you mentioned, I am not an archaeologist. I'm a documentary filmmaker professor. I'm making a documentary about the whole situation May Sinek finds itself uh, in. Um, So I was just in uh, uh, at Sinak in August uh end of August beginning of September and it was kind of a surprise to me but everyone was telling me from the US embassy to the Afghan archaeologists to the Afghan ministry to international archaeologists working on site that in December the the um entire excavation would be stopped and archaeologists would be forced to to leave and China which um, the China Metallurgical Group Corporation, the company that um, bought the 30-year lease to mine copper at May Sinek, will take over and um, kind of start the process of copper excavation. Um, so, for me, you know, that that really shocked and, and scared me, um, and really motivated me to try to get the word out about this um, to give the archaeologists more time. Um, like I said, I'm not an archaeologist, but for me, May Sinek – um, Is just an incredible, awe-inspiring uh, site. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't been to many uh, you know archaeological uh, sites, but to me, it reminds me of Machu Picchu. And just terms in terms of size and you know this isolated location and the kind of stru- uh, structures that are there. Um, really, it's a it's a city. It's an ancient Buddhist city, so it's an enormous sort of epic. 400,000 square meter, um, you know, location, just a sprawling area where you've got a, a 2,600 year old ancient Buddhist site on top of, um, what's, you know, what's been referred to as a, you know, 500, uh, sorry, 5,000 year old or older, um, Bronze Age site. And then who knows kind of what's, what's underneath that. Um, and like you mentioned, it's a, Uh, It's it's got sort of an incredible location right at this major hub of the Silk Road where you had all of these these sort of Asia sort of mixing together, pilgrims and traders, you know, um, exchanging cultures in this area. So you've really got this amazing um, kind of missing link in the history of Afghanistan all locked in May Sinek. Um, Archaeologists working there have told me it should be a 30-year project. Um, And, you know, they've got, you know, under three months of sort of, Scramble and do you know rescue archaeology uh, there. So so for me, it's just so important that they're that they're given more time to kind of find what's there. they they refer to you know um, their position as being just at the tip of the iceberg. You know they've they found hundreds of statues, monastery complex, you know structures, Bronze Age material. You know they're just sort of starting to dig up manus, ancient manuscripts. Um, but they need more time. They're just on the on a, the cusp of of this incredible site.
2: Uh, Before you continue, uh, I'd like to uh, bring Dr. Wright in here for a minute because she is an expert on this particular area. Dr. Wright, why don't you give us a little bit of background on the archaeological past of Mezenac and sort of walk us through, if you will, in a brief sense, uh, the archaeological heritage and the sequence of occupations and and the major um, archaeological significance of the site, if you would.
4: Okay, um, that's a a big thing, but um, I'll try to keep it short. Basically, uh, Afghanistan, if you look at it on a map and you think about the Near East, so we'll just say Iran and Iraq, and then you look on the other side of it and you see India and going farther east, uh, China and Southeast Asia, we tend to think these days that um, it's only now that all of those uh, places have been in contact. Well, there was no Facebook in the past, but people found ways to meet up with each other. And one of the places in which they met each other would have been Afghanistan, either through face-to-face contact or through receiving materials like copper or tin uh, or lapis lazuli from Afghanistan. And that is uh, where I see uh, the value of uh, the archaeology of Afghanistan. So for, uh, well, let's say certainly uh, from the late 70s going on until the, near present till 2002 or thereabouts, there was very little archaeological work done in Afghanistan. But all around in those regions to the east and west and going into Central Asia and down into the Arabian Peninsula, there was a lot of work done. And there are a lot of things that we don't know about Afghanistan, which for that whole period remained unexplored. And so what I see there is that there's a whole history, uh, east and west, north and south, with it in the pivotal location. Brent mentioned the Silk Road. Well, there was a much earlier time, uh, you know, say 5,000 years ago, when people used the similar route, uh, not maybe as far as China, but certainly going from Central Asia down into the area of Afghanistan and westward to, uh, Iran and Iraq. So uh, there's a big puzzle that uh, Afghanistan is right at the middle of it, and neck, because it's our focus today, we could say, presents us with some potential for some answers to that puzzle. One of the items that we know with uh, past being uh, shipped around was copper. Uh, you need copper and tin if you're going to make things like bronze. Uh, Brett mentioned the Bronze Age. Um, so this is a likely place where... Um, Some such resources tame, if not uh, right there as a pivotal point uh, within that range where if you look at a map of where the TIN is, it goes right through that area and through Afghanistan. So that's um, the history uh, sort of in a nutshell, the history being... Lots of things are going on in other places. We have some information about them now, and we know that those things were going on in Afghanistan. We just need to be able to get there and do the archaeological research.
2: So Mezainak was basically functioning as a crossroads, a major crossroads for, uh, over a long period of time, uh, starting essentially, uh, from the Bronze Age and continuing well into the, uh, into the Buddhist and extending into the Islamic period. So right. let me get back to Brent for a minute and why don't you continue and tell us exactly what you see, what you saw when you were there and how you would sort of assess the difficulties and the problems in uh, com- well, first of all, in completing the the archaeological excavation, and how uh, how the archaeology is is proceeding at this
3: point in time. Oh, that's a that's a good question and a, that's a, a big answer. Um, so maybe I'll start with the the Chinese company. So the. Um, Maybe start at the very beginning. The, the this Chinese government-owned company MCC, the China Metallurgical Group Corporation, um, paid uh, a little under three billion dollars for a hundred billion dollars of copper that is literally located directly underneath this Buddhist city. Um, uh, they were actually mining for you know copper using ancient techniques at the city, so that they're sort of directly on on top of it. Um, the, the Chinese company supposedly wasn't told about this um, Buddhist city, you know, when they when they won the this, this contract, so I think that initially presented itself as, as a, um, a big problem, if it was true. Um, they gave... I think the data sort of fluctuated, but they're sort of now saying they gave the archaeologists three years, and now that, that time is up, so they want... They want the archaeologists out of there so they can they can start excavation. So you've got this pressure from the Chinese. Um, by adding to the difficulty of working at the site, um, it's in Logar province, Taliban country. Um, violence is really ramping up in the area. Um, the Chinese compound was recently attacked with rockets. The archaeo- archaeological compound was also attacked. Um, Landmines are, are often placed on the road. Um, and you've got you've got the Taliban uh, supposedly do, you know doing some of this or helping out in some of this. The main anger I, I saw uh, coming from lo- local um, people living in Logar province was that um, six villages where these people lived um, had to be destroyed to to mine copper so the, the copper mine is going to be this enormous open pit style mine and Everything's gonna be destroyed. All these villages, the mountain range, the Buddhist site, everything's gonna be destroyed. There's just gonna be this open crater in the ground. So there were six, six or seven, depending on who you talk to, um, five hundred year old or older villages that had to be destroyed and the whole process of doing this was was so mismanaged um, that it, it left, you know, you know, a small army of, of furious um, Logar um, residents that are now kind of fighting back and, and, and attacking um. we'll,
2: we'll get back with this topic and I'm especially interested in the local opposition and the local difficulties in, in response to the Chinese plans but we're going to have to take a break here for a minute and we'll be back and discuss the uh, potentially uh, tra- uh, difficult fate of Mezenak after these
5: words Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On
2: CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sanjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sanjo Gall. Listen in every
5: Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business.
1: listening to indiana jones myth reality and 21st century archaeology with dr joseph schuldenrein to be a part of our discussion today please call 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra now back to the program
2: Welcome back. This is Joe Ryan, and we're continuing in our fascinating story of the cultural heritage site of Meze in Afghanistan, and we are speaking to two experts in the region. Uh, one is a film documentarian, um, uh, Mr. Brent Huffman, and uh, our second guest, is the eminent archaeologist Dr. Rita Wright of New York University and uh, what we've been discussing is uh, the nature and the imminence of potential destruction of this very fantastic archaeological site that's approximately 20, at least 20 goes back at least 2600 years if not more uh, well into actually well into the Bronze Age so it is considerably older and uh, we've been discussing uh, with Brent Hoffman the most recent developments in, uh, in the site that have serious ramifications to the site's actual survival as an archaeological and cultural heritage uh, site. Uh, Brent, why don't you continue and tell us exactly what what uh, is happening as a result of the Chinese ramping up their mining operations right now?
3: Um, so... Uh like i mentioned the, the the Chinese are are ramping up wanting to get get started um, finally get started on this this copper excavation, so they're putting all this pressure like I said to get get everybody out in in um, December um, Some of this is just speculation, but when the Chinese were recently attacked um, I think they used that attack to bargain for um, more rights in Afghanistan. And it's important to note that the um, or at least how I see it, the, the, the Chinese don't aren't just interested in May Sinek, they're interested in the one trillion, you know, dollars worth of natural resources that are that are located, you know, underneath Afghanistan countrywide. So they're thinking long term and they're thinking May Sinek will sort of be the first step in in this um, this long-term process. So uh, Reuters reported this about a, about two weeks ago. They reported that the top um, security chief in China made a secret trip to Kabul to renegotiate things like Maysinac and give the Chinese company more security and, uh, I fear, a lot more rights to kind of do whatever they want. And there's no transparency in Afghanistan and, you know, there's... Corruption everywhere, so I don't think we'll ever know exactly what was decided or what was signed off on. Um, but my fear is that, you know, uh, Afghanistan, is this cash-strapped country, they, they, they need this money, and my fear is that they, you know, overlook some of the necessary cultural and environmental oversight that needs to happen and, and just gave the Chinese right to do whatever they, whatever they want. So
2: do, you, do you think that um, yeah. this uh, December timeline is is pretty accurate, or what's what's your feeling on that at this point?
3: It's it's that's a great question. It's it's tough to say, and it's it just seems like it's always changing. Like I said in in August, everyone was telling me this is this is the this is the cutoff. This is the end. Um, the 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 big point to make is is that I, I don't think the Chinese company is anywhere near ready to start excavation, and there's a lot of steps that I'm not an expert on copper excavation, but there's a lot of steps that need to happen that haven't happened um, yet. Um, could, so, could I just th- th- uh, yeah.
4: interject with something? Uh, sure. In sure. to something that you said earlier, you know, I, I agree about uh, that in Afghanistan there's a great deal of corruption and so on and that is uh, almost seems insurmountable in the context of what we hear. But I did want to say that um, I, I had uh I would say that some listeners might want to go and listen to the earlier uh, segment that uh, Joe recorded with uh, Omar Sultan and Dr. Laura Tedesco because at that time, which was just a few months ago, they were much very much more positive now obviously um people um and and as Lori pointed out. You don't know what's going to happen, but you keep moving ahead, and that's the most important thing to context in which to put this. And a part of that for me is that um, from my experiences in Afghanistan, scholars, ordinary people, workers, uh, somebody you might meet on the side of the road, um, People in Afghanistan are very aware of their cultural heritage. They will brag about it, about, you know, being descendants of Alexander the Great, who went went through there at one time. So uh, there is that deep-seated belief in cultural heritage. And what's been very impressive to me is that their heritage to them is not just about current-day um, ethnic groups or religious groups or whatever, but they are as uh, interested in the very ancient past as they are in the present. So I would say that one thing about the Masonic issue going for it is that there are people there, if they can find ways for their voices to be heard, that um, would be working against uh, some of these very negative um, aspects of what's going on there.
2: Uh, Rita, let me ask you a a little bit about our last uh, visit there, which was, what, in July of 2011? What was your assessment of how the archaeology itself was proceeding at the time and where the emphasis was being placed and and, and the overall archaeological effort?
4: Well, first of all, I I do want to say that at that particular time, I believe that the government initiative was to... um, work on the Buddhist settlement there, the monuments that, were, that are there. And uh, throughout all of this, I believe that, and I'm very proud of the U.S. government for this, they have uh, moved very slowly in the kinds of projects uh, from the archaeological point of view that they'll undertake. They always want to be sure that this is something that, Um, the Afghan government uh, is behind, etc. So that's just one caveat behind the notion that Buddhism is, you know, the tip and the only part of the iceberg in terms of archaeology right now. At that time, because of the significance of that material, um, they were moving very quickly. But Um, We saw, um, as well, if you can remember, we walked into an area where there was a sort of cave uh, affair that the um, monks had, um, uh, where they had installed, uh, produced uh, a very large sculpture. Remember, the feet of that thing were Mm -hmm. just massive. Um, The people that were working in there were um, going about it in great detail. They were preparing to conserve the statue in such a way that it then could be moved to this storage area that had been built, uh, that in preparation for it to go to the museum in Kabul. So I would say that I'd have to say that everything was going very quickly. Uh, the excavation wasn't as detailed all the time as one would want it to be, but it was, um, in pace with uh, some of the pressures uh, that were on the government, the archaeologists, and, of course, at that time, they were already at the largesse of the Chinese uh, firm because they had been extending the deadline from time to time as they realized the progress was slower. They um, had lots of archaeologists working there, most of them, uh, well, all of them really at the time uh, from uh, Afghanistan scholars there who, who know the terrain very well. So I would say that in balance with the situation, um, it was as good as it could be.
2: And, and I would like to interject here, Brent, and I'd, I'd like to get your perspective, but when we were there, we had a meeting with the uh, with the Chinese mining people, and uh, one of the impressions that I got, and uh, Rita, correct me if, if you think otherwise, was that there was, at that particular point in time, a spirit of cooperation because Philippe Marquis, who was the director of the French mission, and at that time was focusing on the uh, Buddhist monasteries and statuary, and the Conservation uh, pulled out a couple of maps and showed the Chinese mining engineers uh, what his schedule was for uh, particular segments of the the site itself. And uh, you know, again, this was a very brief meeting, but they seemed to uh, be very attentive and they listened very very. Carefully, and I think, and and in speaking to Philippe Marquis after that particular uh, meeting, he seemed to suggest that there was a certain amount of give and take. Now, clearly, this was done over a year ago, and there wasn't uh, there wasn't obviously the time constraints, nor was there the political and uh, dangerous pressure that was being applied from the outside at that particular time. So, I was wondering, Brent, if you, in the course of your visits there, has have noticed the shift because you've been there several times.
3: Uh, yeah, well, I should say I had a, I had a different impression of, of how things were going. I was also there in, in July of 2011. I had a uh-huh. very different impression of how things were going at, at the archaeology site. Um, I don't know if you want me to start with that or start with, with China. Uh, either way? Um, so, so for for me, and, I, and I've been maybe closer closer to uh, DAFA, So uh, Philippe Marquis, who's the head of the um, French archaeological uh, uh, team in Afghanistan, it has a long history. And I should say Philippe is is doing amazing things there. The Afghan archaeologists are just doing incredible work, risking their lives. But I couldn't be more impressed with the job that that they're doing. Uh-huh. But for me, for me, the situation was was terribly difficult um, and you and I had, had talked about there, there is, is not really one um, you know leader of, of things there's a kind of chaos at the site and you it's got even worse you know now where you've got different factions arguing and not agreeing and hmm. you know fighting over what should be done next right um, so you've got you've got that problem and I think that problem is really frustrating, frustrating for the Chinese company, and you know the, the this Chinese state-owned company doesn't hate Buddhism, doesn't hate Afghanistan, but they they believe in capitalism. They wanna they wanna mine, you know, they want they want this copper. So all you know they are very unhappy with all of these delays, and 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 I agree that they have been. I think because they see the, just the PR nightmare of, of destroying the site, they have been working with or trying to work with, you know, the archaeologists uh, on the site. So that much is true. Um, in 2011, the Afghan archaeologists hadn't been paid for five months, and that was terrible then. When I was there in August, the exact same thing had happened. They hadn't been paid again for for five months, and the ministry was dragging their feet, and you got these, you got these people, you know— Risking their lives um, on the site for no pay, um, so we've got we've got that issue. Uh, the the other um, really big issue is the Afghan archaeologists, as one of the international foreign archaeologists told me, you know, live like animals on the site. Um, they they you know are sleeping on the on the floor if they have to stay in the site. They 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 don't have computers. They don't have um, access to cameras, um, and they're really operating with the, the crudest of tools. So to me it looks like they're working with gardening tools and tarps. Um, there was a, a, a resin material that they need to cover the Buddhist statues to protect them and they've been asking, they've been asking for this resin for um, months and while they're in August it's it been years and they still never got it. Um, so to me, it looks like you've got extremely dedicated people, people that would give their lives for May you know, quite honestly, you know, people that just impress, impress me, you know, uh, beyond belief, just incredible people, but working in a, in a very bad situation. Well, well I, guess the, you are, yeah, go ahead. I guess
2: the question there, and and we came away, I guess, with a similar impression that uh, the archaeological effort is simply not centralized and coordinated. That there's been a tremendous amount of of turnover, and uh, what what's the source of that? Did you get any feel for what that was, and and why the right hand effectively didn't know what the left hand was doing?
3: Um. Uh... <laughs> It'd probably be speculation, but I, you know, you've got a, you've got a lot of hands in the pot, and you've got, you know, honestly, you've got the the, the World Bank um, pulling the strings, and and to me, the World Bank has sort of a, a you know questionable interest in in all this. Uh, I feel the World Bank really wants mining to to happen, so you've got the the. World Bank sort of mm-hmm. pulling strings. You've got the Afghan ministries, kind of below them, you know, also asserting their power. And then you've got factions within the the ministries. So you've got a minister of culture and a minister of mining that want, you know, different different things. You've got Dafa. Then it's, it's their own own organization that you know sees itself as kind of the the third wheel in all in in all of this. So. You've got you know a lot of a lot of different players with different degrees of, of power. Um, uh, you and I have talked privately about about Hans Culver that was um, fired from uh, from the site who was probably there when you were there in, in two thousand eleven as the kind of site coordinator. And there's speculation about why that why that happened, what was what was going on, and you know I don't know exactly what happened, but. The, you know, all these different players, massive turnaround, you know, terrible equipment, and then just frantic, you know, rescue archaeology, which to me, you know, can be, can be sort of a destructive form of, of archaeology, you know. Um, yeah, so you've got sort of all of this going on at once, and, and to me, it, it, uh, it just really impressed on me that the archaeologists need more time, they need more resources. You know, um, they need a plan.
2: And on that note, we will go back to a final break, and we will return with our final segment on meze and the uh, unfortunate situation uh, in the current political backdrop that is contemporary Afghanistan. We'll be back after these words.
1: you're listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra Now, back to the program. Can you do- we're
2: back. This is Joe Schildenrein on Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. I'm back with my two distinguished guests, uh, Mr. Brent Huffman, who is a uh, documentarian and a f- uh, film producer. Uh, who has done extensive work in many places, but we are focusing on the archaeological site and the cultural heritage monuments at the Afghan, Afghanistan site of, of Mezenak and Dr. Rita Wright, who is a South Asia expert and focused in uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. And, uh, Dr. Wright, if you would uh, give us a brief overview on the situation that you see at this particular time with given the fact that there is uh, sort of an imminent withdrawal in 2014 uh, by the U.S. troops and and where we are and what we need to do in terms of the archaeology and uh, where we're starting out in in terms of the archaeological resources and the cultural heritage situation, what we know and what we would like to do, if you would.
4: Okay. Um, Well... By now, everyone knows as we've been discussing this that the Buddhist site is really the tip of the iceberg. There are other sites that followed in later years, Islamic sites and so on, and then earlier we mentioned very briefly Alexander the Great, and then going way back into prehistoric periods when we don't have any written records, although we hear from other cultures where there are written records that commerce is going on between southern Iraq and as far as uh, Pakistan and India, so passing right through that magic circle, which is Afghanistan. What I'd like to see uh, happening at Maisonnec, which I think from what Brent has been saying and uh, some of the um, things that have occurred since you and I were there in July 2001, that the situation is deteriorating uh, and it seems to be getting worse. It's almost like a house of cards. And wrong things are done. They're very small details, but it only makes things worse. When we were there, I really felt that uh, Philip. Uh, Marquis had a very strong control over what was happening with respect to the archaeology. Again, working within the constraints of the timing that he had to follow it, uh, when the, you know, before the mining was to take place. So what needs to be done at Maisonnek is a full-scale survey, looking for settlements that go back, you mentioned earlier, the Paleolithic. There are caves there, there and all sorts of places where we would be likely to find an archaeological site. So that has not been done. That is not really what's on the table. It's nothing that has, the uh, Chinese have ever been approached with. And, in fact, um, I'm not sure uh, what the position of... Um, the government of Afghanistan would be. My only hope would be that somehow or other this mining idea would go away and that there would be some time to do the kind of survey that would give us that sort of information. When you and I were there, that was one of the issues that we raised. We only had a short time and we weren't able to do a systematic survey, but one of the things that we did do was ask the question, well, okay, here's a great copper mine here and we think there's probably uh, there's a good possibility that there's a settlement here. We know there are ancient mines, but we really don't know whether any of them can be dated to the Bronze Age you know, to 5,000 years ago. So we would really want to do something like that. But um, we couldn't do that sort of thing in a survey. It meant walking around a very large area looking for possibilities for settlement, and the sorts of things we did was thought about the landscape. Is this a place where people could actually live? And that's why we went around looking for things like, are there any springs here? Are there water sources for people? Remember, we also went around and looked to see if there had been any other activity with respect to farming in the recent past, and there were remnants of fields and uh, terraces, Now, we know they weren't ancient terraces, and we know they weren't ancient fields, but they gave us an answer to one of the first questions we would ask, which would be, well, is it even likely that anybody would live in a place like this or spend large periods of time there? So that kind of work could still be done if there were time to do it. Um, Um, I don't think that's been done, and it must be done, because if it's not... uh, All of that will be gone forever the minute that the mining operation starts. One possibility, and something that you and I have discussed, and I've been trying to organize some people to work on something like this, is as a start, um, we could do a, a map documenting the area as it is today using high-resolution imagery. There are mapping projects now where they have been identifying ancient mines using this uh, kind of imagery. Also, settlements have been found now. After we did a, made a map like that, no one would really know how to date those places, but we would have documentation of the sorts of things that were there before the place was totally destroyed. And if everything worked out just great, we would also be able to take that map and field people in that area looking for um, doing a ground-truthing of those things, which is another thing that you and I have discussed. So we have. Uh, I think what we're saying is that there are docu- there's documentation that still can be done. It's, not, it's sort of like the compromise that is being made about how to excavate the, the monastery, uh, the monuments at the Buddhist site. We do something um, that can practically uh, be happening.
2: Um, Brent, let me get you, you've heard what uh, what Dr. Wright has said. Um, uh, let me get your assessment as to how likely it might be for this type of an operation to be done, and where you see the entire effort going at this point. Or is it too chaotic at this at this stage to actually figure out where it is going?
4: Oh uh, uh,
3: boy, that, that's a that's a tough tough question for me to answer. I mean, I I completely agree with with Rita. I I would love to see, um, you know, uh, uh more of a more of a plan. The archaeologists given more time, um, you know, more work to be done on the site. I I do think it's it's, um, you know, possible that the. Afghan Ministries and MCC could, you know, easily give, you know, archaeologists another year or or two more years or three more years. Um, I don't think they're anywhere near ready to to start, and it doesn't make much sense to, you know, force archaeologists out just to kind of sit on the site, so...
2: But, but let, let me my, backtrack my here and exactly ask you what they're going to do. Yeah. Let me ask you another question here. In terms of the organization, I mean, we talked about this earlier. How do you see the archaeological effort going forward? Is, is there a hope for sort of an organizational thread to it? Because we have gotten, gotten the impression that no one is really in charge and that there doesn't seem to be any central thread or organizational umbrella that's that's moving this thing in a direction where it can be looked at as, a, as, as sort of a, a uniform effort. Is that your impression, or what are you
3: coming away with? Yes, that's that's my impression, too. Um,
4: well, you know, there is the effort of ICOMOS, which is an organization uh, that, frequently steps in for the preservation of sites i i don 't really know the extent of their success, but there there is that kind of a coordinating uh, initiative uh, but it, you know as you've all we 've all discovered and talked about, there are so many interest groups involved in this in terms of the government structure and the People who are coming in wanting to work—that it's very hard to um, coordinate uh, an, any kind of any kind of effort. But I think a group like ICOMOS could possibly be. Um, that might be something that you might want to discuss on another program, Joe, with the, one of the officials there. Might and, be, Yeah,
3: might be as, as far as I know, they, they are trying to get involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, their operation out of Paris, they are. Yeah. I'm not sure what they've. What they've done, but I think they've had a meeting in Kabul, and they're they're trying to push. I mean, the the, the problem is, yeah, there's no there's no central thread, and the most powerful players, the um, World Bank, the Afghan ministries, MCC, you know, all want mining to to start as soon as possible. So any any effort to continue the archaeology, you have to you know push back on these just tremendously powerful, well funded. Players in, mm-hmm. in this. Um, but I, I think we should try. You know, I, um, we, we've got petitions out. I've got a petition out right now. I'm, you know, trying to raise awareness, trying to wa- raise awareness to Afghans about what's going on. Trying to raise awareness to the international community. I think if we raise enough of a, uh, you know, an, enough of this negative uh, publicity, uh, you know, my hope is that the that the ministries, World Bank the um, uh, MCC company will, will give the archaeologists more time. We'll just see it in their best interest to, to do so. That's
4: my hope. Well, you know, around here what I've been doing is going around giving a talk that I'm calling Archaeological Boots on the Ground because um, it's easy to confuse um, stopping our Diplomatic efforts as soon as the troops leave Afghanistan. And I view this whole kind of project that you just mentioned as a kind of diplomatic effort. I think cultural heritage is something that almost everybody would say that they find that something that's very important. It doesn't have to be, you know, in their own backyard. And so I think it is worth the sort of push that you're talking about. And I'm, I'm only afraid, uh, from some reactions that I've gotten, that um, people are writing Afghanistan off—that they've read it, that they're ready to sort of drop the whole notion that there's anything in Afghanistan—and this would be a terrible mistake, because uh, we've already seen efforts at cultural heritage with the establishment of the office in Kabul, et cetera, and. Um, it's a wonderful way to extend a diplomatic hand, and um I know we know how to do that, and I want that to be uh one of the major considerations as we leave our other boots. uh, leave Afghanistan, I think we've got to get the archaeological boots on the ground and we have to convince people that this isn't just about a place where nothing's ever going to happen and everybody squabbles all the time, but that there are some things that link them. You know, one of the Uh, things that uh, Omar Sultan said when he was talking about uh, Mezanek and the images that had been sent around the world of the place. He said, this is the best and the most concrete way to unite people. And I absolutely think that's it. You know, it's really something we need to put some effort behind.
2: It, seems, it yeah. did seem like that, you know, everybody, irrespective of their political positions, they seemed to think that cultural heter- heritage was important, and it was something that had to be dealt with and had to be preserved. And if there's anything that we can do, it would at least be to develop some kind of a model that 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 could be passed on. To the governments and the future, uh, the future leaders of Afghanistan, to go ahead and uh, persist in in, uh, in cultural heritage preservation and archaeology, and and if there's any way we could do that, I think that would be the biggest gift we could leave behind.
4: Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. It would be sad if we didn't do it.
2: And I guess we will have to continue and, and, and persist in doing that, uh, Brent. Do you have any plans for going back and uh accumulating any more information, or what's your situation in terms of? of... I just
3: wanted, yeah, I wanted to tap on the last point just really quickly. Um, part of the turnaround, Omar Sultan is, you know, is, has been replaced at, at, yeah. at the Ministry of Culture.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Um, I've heard a rumor that UNESCO wants to leave Afghanistan altogether, and. Two thousand fourteen. So I, I completely agree with Rita that this is this is the best thing we can do as a diplomatic gesture and for the you know, this next generation of Afghans for the future of Afghanistan. They can know their own culture, know the value of their own culture, but you know, we've got a, a, a big mountain to, to push against, you know. Are you
2: planning um, so, to go back or no?
3: Yes, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back in December. I mean I've I'm. I have to raise the money to go. I'm. I, I kind of just raised enough to be able to send myself there. But I'm, especially if December is the end. I. I. I really need to need to be there. Yeah.
2: And who's giving you these updates? And and or, or are they reliable? Or uh, in terms of the scheduling and the timelines, et cetera.
3: In terms of December, uh, you know, in in August, that that's what I heard. There was just a uh, an Afghan report that came out um, yesterday that that. Um, came from the head, the head um, Afghan archaeologist in the Ministry of Culture that said December was the was the end too. So it's 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 widely being you know being reported. Um, but I'm sure you guys got this sense too that it's hard it's hard to get a well, you know, concrete answer. Know, answer. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, different people tell me tell me different things. So I am in communication with the international archaeologists that are actually living on on site. Um, and they do have Internet and Skype capabilities, so I, I am in direct communication with them and other groups like Integrity Watch that reports on this and transparency of um, so, um, mineral so you extraction. Mean, so you
4: mean that things have improved, that the archaeologists now do have uh, computers well, and Internet access?
3: No, no, the oh, Afghan archaeologists don't. The, oh, I see. There's an inter- Yeah, it's very confusing. There's an international team of archaeologists working under the Ministry of Mine I see. who are actually living inside the Chinese compound right. and are using... Yeah.
4: I see, okay. Okay, I'm
2: afraid we're going to have yeah. to cut it off at this point, but we have uh, certainly a lot to follow up on. And I believe that we will be doing yet another show on this situation as it develops because of the imminence and the potential danger and, and the uh, obvious uh, the situation that 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 hopefully will never materialize, but we can't be sure of, of destruction and, uh, and, and and the untimely damage that might be done to this critical site. So thank you so much to Brent Huffman and to Dr. Rita Wright of NYU. And we will uh, follow up again in a couple of weeks. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.
4: Thank you, Joe.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow.